Hello friends and welcome to the very latest edition of the Selby is Godcast, courtesy of The Athletic Cleveland. I am TJ Zuppi. However, the man to my left is not Zach Meisel. I am as not. Zach is on assignment somewhere, I believe, in New York. At least that's the lie that he's told me. So he's not home for this short, brief home series against the Royals. In fact, the man sitting next to me is a man that you probably know. You're probably pretty familiar with. You might read his stuff over at Indians.com, MLB.com, and of course, you follow him on Twitter where he gives away all the information for free. It's Jordan Bastion. It's all free. <laughs> that's And that's the problem. But we'll get into that coming up later. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, I hope I can bring some dessert along with some meat <laughs> and potatoes for you guys today. I, I was told through a source that it was not until recently that you actually subscribed to our podcast and actually listened to the to what we discuss here on this podcast every single week. That there was a long period of time where you didn't listen, you didn't you didn't tune in every time that we might have name dropped you, we referenced something that you did. Is this true? Are you not listening to the podcast? Because this is as much about the Indians as it is the beat itself. And that's what I like about this podcast is we get to not only discuss the team, but discuss what's going on behind the scenes with the guys that cover the team. I'm a big fan of this podcast now, uh, especially after I was berated for not having tuned in. Uh, you know what? I have other podcasts and you know, I just I wasn't ready to tell them that I was interested in seeing other podcasts. But now, you know, I, all the other podcasts seem cool that they're pretty open-minded about me uh, exploring my my uh, podcast curiosities. <laughs> I'm glad that they're willing to allow you to enter into this open relationship, yeah. Jordan. Yeah, but no, it's been great. You guys are doing great work. I've enjoyed it, uh, especially the desserts, because I think we're far more entertained maybe sometimes by that. But it's fun to get some of the, the stories behind the scenes out there. Yeah, I mean, I just did a hit the other day with 92. Through the fan, my former employer, and you know we do plenty of those hits. Jordan, you're on a, a radio station every other day. You know, we discuss the meat and potatoes a lot. The fun part of doing this is that we get to, I, at least I hope, bring people behind the curtain a little bit. Maybe not everyone cares about all of our uh, adventures in the parking garage, or what we saw in the clubhouse on a particular day, or how Paul Hoynes holds his phone. Maybe these are things <laughs> that people on the outside don't care about. Uh, but it does entertain us, and it does help pass the time. Well, like I mentioned as we were walking up here, I got goosebumps as we walked to this this very famous podcasting spot, <laughs> and I keep looking left and right to see what Indian celebrities we might see walk by while we're just casually talking. Yeah, and if you listen to the podcast, you know, we, we've set up camp outside the Infinity Club here at Progressive Field when, when Zach and I are able to, to podcast together. At are home. you, like, fishing for sponsors? Is that what <laughs> Hey, if anybody wants to jump on board, just just go right ahead. Um, in fact, we've talked about Panda Express enough on this podcast that I would hope that that would happen eventually. Uh, but the beauty of doing that right here at this little round table where at they this have all these... MLB.com at bat round table. Uh, yes, where you can plug in your phone and charge it. And In fact, we do that while we're sitting here. Uh, there are plenty of people that come out of the elevators, walk by, don't know we're doing a podcast. They just see two guys standing at a table. 
not really knowing what they're doing, but they come up and say hello. So that's when we see, I mean, you just heard the elevator bell go off in the background. You never know who could be stopping by. That sounds like the clubhouse. Just a couple guys stand in the middle of the room not knowing what they're doing until someone comes up and says hello. <laughs> and then we think of something. Uh, well, we did see not really a new face, but a familiar face in the clubhouse today with Andrew Miller. Um, he's been around the team, but now he's actually able to, to partake in the game. He's back from the, the disabled list, back off the, the hamstring issue that he had for a couple of weeks. Certainly that's a big lift to a bullpen that really needs it, considering the way things have gone in the past few weeks. And, and I think it's been it's it's been interesting on a couple levels. One, you see just how important Miller is to the bullpen. Yeah. It's almost that LeBron James-esque factor with the Cavaliers where you remove him from the equation and he's the thing that makes everything else go. Yep. And now all of a sudden they don't like a professional basketball team anymore. <laughs> Maybe that's going a little bit too far to say that about Andrew Miller, but I mean you're seeing what happens when you take him out of the equation. Also now Tyler Olson, who has been tremendous in that secondary left-hander role, is now thrust into being Andrew Miller and taking on those innings. Well, when he's facing right-handers and yep. guys for multiple innings, it becomes a problem. It's a problem when Cody Allen is throwing 40 freaking pitches in the game that takes place in April or May. Right. It's a problem when you're having, well, maybe not for Trevor Bauer, but for other pitchers, 122 pitches or running Carlos Carrasco out there for 116, 117 pitches. There's a lot going on there that if Andrew Miller was part of this equation, you wouldn't be seeing that happen. Yeah, and I think, as I wrote, I think in my inbox earlier this week uh, on Indians.com, shameless plug, uh, but someone asked, we'll you, edit that out later. <laughs> someone asked, what what led to this? Like, what happened? And it's not just Miller being out. And none of these things are excuses because the execution was not there. But they had a doubleheader. They had Nick Goody's elbow go out on them. They didn't have Miller. And that's part of the Miller equation, too, probably. Right. Because how often have we seen Goody go three consecutive days throwing? They had uh, a slew of extra inning games, and there were no days off in between. And, and as you noted, if you look at the individual pitcher use, each guy had their pitches per appearance tick up between 5 to 10, which doesn't sound a lot, but over the course of many consecutive days, it was just a, just a collection of all these little tiny things that added up to one giant mess, including uh, a bunch of transactions and turnover, and, uh, you know, a trade, and trying to shuffle guys. we got Tyler Olson's dealing with, a, his, has a baby on the way, so he's trying to... How dare he? You know, but you have all these little things that added up to this big mess and Andrew Miller was out. And so I think it was just this perfect storm, um, and, and everything became very magnified. But I loved Andrew Miller today when, you know, because he knows everyone's been writing how, you know, this chain reaction that happened since he left. And he goes, hey guys, you know, I was on the DL last year and they won 22 games in a row. So I, th- I thought that was a, a funny king of modesty. Funny thing on his part. But no, I think, especially without Brian Shaw and Joe Smith, the way they sort of helped things line up last year, it's just the, the ability to line up the guys the way you want to use them suddenly you just had to use guys without maybe it being the perfect matchup which I think was what Tito excels at is the matchup game and he couldn't do that when Miller was out no and and you, you saw if you go back to their numbers just before he went out via injury they still were pretty good I mean of course they were without Brian Shaw but 
You're still talking about a top five bullpen. Yeah, it was. And then <laughs> now it's that, a bottom five. That bullpen. happened. Um, so that's why I think it's. I, I think you have to try to be as honest as you can with this evaluation because the easiest thing to do is just assume that it's all trash. They're in big trouble and they need to make a trade. I I think they need to shore up that bullpen mm-hmm. eventually at some point this year and maybe sooner than later. Um, and maybe that happens in July. Maybe it happens in August. But I think they need to add to that in some way, shape, or form. But I also think it's probably being unfair to just evaluate the past two weeks on its own and say that that's the reality either. And right. so I think I think multiple things can be true here. Do they need help in that bullpen? Yes. Are they as good as they were last year? No. Are there problem areas? Absolutely. Does adding Andrew Miller back to that mix help fix some of those issues? Absolutely yes, as that's true as well. And I also think that we're not talking about your average reliever here. Right. You're, if you're taking one of the best pitchers in baseball when you're talking about bullpen arms and removing him from the equation, of course the team's going to suffer in those those instances. Yeah, if Corey Kluber's out, that rotation is going to suddenly be going through some <laughs> issues. Uh, no, you're right. I think now that he's back, I think this is the evaluation period now because now you've reshuffled the uh, inventory a little bit. You need to see what you have maybe a little more in Evan Marshall. Um, you got to see what you have in Oliver Drake. Uh, and Who? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> He's nice coming be, in, guys. Nice of you to introduce yourself to him. Uh, and so, but now with Miller back, where guys are slotting more into the roles where they're supposed to be, this to me is the more important evaluation period because you knew it was going to be problematic without Miller. Now you need to see... Does it sort of does the ship get righted a little bit with him? And then as they get to the trade deadlines in July and August, it's been exposed that this is a weakness, like we all felt it could be. Uh, but now you need to evaluate a little more what you have and reach that point in the season where other teams are more willing to play. You can't just go out and get a guy right now. You know, it's no. too early in the season. Well, you got to have them say yes too. They have to be prepared exactly to pull the trigger on ending their season. And as much as you know, you and I and every fan can sit at home and say, well, what the hell are the Orioles doing? Trade your pieces. Your team is garbage. Let's go. <laughs> well, it's it's easy for us to say that from this position. They also have to think about the repercussions of doing that with their fan base and you know where they're at and, and their evaluations. So it's not just as simple as, hey, I like that guy. Go get that guy. Well, the other team has to want to give them up too. And also, as, as easy as it is to say you could maximize your value by making a trade earlier, Sometimes bringing it right up to the deadline is when you maximize the value in terms of convincing the team that really wants that guy to throw in that extra piece. So if you are the Orioles or the Reds or some of these teams that may be uh, stripping away some pieces, you know, you're going to want to try and figure out when's the best time to strike. And you know maybe Baltimore, maybe there's some criticism there on how they've handled uh, the window to trade and maximize value in return um, with not just guys like Manny Machado but other pieces over the last few years. But I do think there's still that mindset of if somebody really wants player X and I push it right to the deadline, maybe I'm actually going to get the better deal than if I do it now. Yeah, and I, I still think patience, as painful as it is when you're going through these struggles, is the best way to go about it from a front office standpoint because that's true about a team maybe doesn't want to trade their pieces right now, maybe the asking price is too high, but you're also still in an evaluation period for yourself. Things that look like a problem in May may fix themselves by July. Right. Something that doesn't look like an issue right now could become an issue through an injury or somebody just falls flat on their face. 
what happens if you use your limited financial and prospect inventory to go out and make a trade right now? And it turns out in July, you actually need something a lot more than you thought you were going to. And in, in this division, I know it pains everybody. And people roll their eyes when you mention this. Everyone's tired of us saying it. We're tired of saying it. <laughs> but... It's an advantage. It is an advantage. Whether or not you're upset about it or anything. I mean, nobody is saying that winning the division is the goal, but winning the division get, helps you get closer to your goal, and it's what helps you get into the postseason. And in this reality, this division is set up where you can afford to be patient and see what you have. And people get frustrated because they think that's a loser mentality, but, I mean, if if that's an advantage for you, then then use it. Everybody should use everything that's at, at their you know fingertips and in the Indians' camp, they have the ability to evaluate a little bit more. More than a team like in the AL East, if you're the Blue Jays, you can't really sit back and just right. wait on guys to see what's going to happen. You can't run a guy out there to see. Like the Indians, they can see if Evan Marshall is anything. They can see uh, if Oliver Drake or, or anybody else that they bring up here is worth anything so that when you get to July, you can have a better sense on the trades you actually need to make. And you're getting to that point of the season now where we can can start talking about uh, moving beyond the it's early you know the sample size is starting to uh, stabilize stabilize a little bit and that's why you see something like today where Jason Kipnis finally gets moved out of the number two hole we're almost 40 games in we're at that quarter pole we're at that sort of line that front offices draw in the season to go we need to get to this point and then a lot of things are what they are and and a lot of players are who they are going to be this year and maybe we need to make a change and evaluate and so I think that's why you look at this being when you know as frustrated and impatient as some fans were getting um, and maybe even Frank Ona in his office was internally debating something like this how much leash do you give a guy you know to go back to Zach's great metaphor from a previous podcast um, right <laughs> But leave that guy on vacation while he's there. <laughs> but, you know, but I think now you're starting to see. This is when you're going to start to see some tweaking, um, and I think it's important to once you get to this point. Like I said, this is the good evaluation period, not just for the bullpen, but okay. Brantley's in the number two spot. We drop Kipnis down a little bit from Francona's perspective. Try and get him going a little bit. Get the pressure off the, the being in the top third of the lineup, and get your your guys who are performing the best in the top spots of the lineup. We're seeing stuff like that now because we're reaching that point of the season. I think there's a lot of factors that you and I we maybe had a little bit better sense of this, but as a fan, maybe you don't think about. But I think it's fair to weigh in, like we're talking about with Kipnis. You know, today Tito said that he had a sit down with Kip, and him and and Tito kind of came to a uh, a conclusion together that this is probably best for everybody, best for the team, uh, best for Kipnis to try to work his way out of it. And I've written a couple of times and been asked a bunch of times in Q&As. I, I still think Kipnis has the ability to have an impact on the season in a positive. It's not there right now and it doesn't make a lot of sense to keep running him out there in the two-hole in a spot in the lineup that a lot of people will tell you is probably the most important part of this lineup. Where The 
the unthought of part of this is something else that Tito talked about today. You know, is that just there's a comfort level with guys being in certain positions as a manager? You know, Tito doesn't have to tell Kip anything about you know moving a guy, mm-hmm. or doing what he what he calls the right thing at the plate, and sometimes that means bunting, and it drives all of us crazy. But there are certain things about Kipness being at that part of the lineup that allows Tito to just feel comfortable because he doesn't have to go out there and tell him anything. He's been there long enough. He knows what he needs to do. And there's also an element here where if you start moving the lineup around, and a lot of times, and we fall into this trap too, guys hitting well somewhere, guys feeling comfortable, guys surrounded by the right people in the lineup, and you just assume, well, if you put him here, it's going to work in the same way. You know, there's not always something tangible to point to, but... You know, maybe a guy doesn't thrive as much in the two hole as he does a little bit lower in the lineup because Tyler Naquin is hitting right now. Do you move him up just because he's hitting, or is he hitting because it's a product of where he's, how he's been used, and who he's surrounded by? So I think there's a there's a lot of difficulties there for a manager when they think, uh, well, just just put this guy up in the two hole because uh, this guy's not hitting. Well, how does that impact the entire lineup? And I think that's something that every manager has to consider too. The good thing here is Michael Brantley. You could put him one, two, three, four, all the way down through the lineup, and why you would hit him 789 I don't know but you could do that too it doesn't matter as much for him and I th- I think for as fair as he was trying to beat a Kipnis I still think this move is a little bit too late yeah I agree um, I think uh, Francona's first year here I believe Brantley was that guy that moved all over the lineup I think then there was a year where Jose Ramirez was that guy where he moved all over the lineup um, but kind of to your point you know this he made the swap as a veteran for a veteran you know because he knew knows Brantley is the style of hitter that's not changing his approach no matter where he is in the lineup up. You're not going to see him all of a sudden become like, you know, a guy that's bunting a ton because he's in the two, two hole. Hopefully, thank God. Um, but there is also that factor of Brantley being that high contact, quote unquote, protection type hitter. You know, Dean likes having a guy like that in that five six range to protect the the middle of the order guys. Now, when you're putting Kipnis down there, is this going to have a chain reaction for Edwin and Yonder Alonso uh, or even Tyler Naquin? You know, coming up behind him. You know, so these are things. It's you're right. It's not like HPD or fantasy baseball where you can just swap guys around um, and and you know have a different lineup every day. You know they want to. They like that stability, especially Tito loves that stability. Of he wants his players to walk in the room and maybe yeah. not necessarily need to look at the lineup card. You know, they know where they're playing. They know they can just get into their daily routine. Um, he's not one of these managers that's going to fall prey to hot hands or cold hands and, and adjust that lineup every day. Um, so I think, but yeah, to your point, I think this was you know, the right thing to do, the right move to make, and you know maybe came a little bit after it should have. I also feel like, and tipness aside, because he's struggling as, as much as he is, it's it's going to impact things in the two-hole. You put anybody up there that has been as, you know, as frankly, as bad as he's been this year in the two-spot, you're going to feel it. There are also times where we get way too caught up in how that thing is stacked. Mm-hmm. And the reality is, if Francisco Lindor and Jose Ramirez and Michael Brantley and Edwin Encarnacion and Yonder Alonso, I mean, if these guys aren't performing, it doesn't matter where you put, how you put them together, you need your stars to play like your stars. And there were times early in the year 
where they weren't. Lindor was slumping, or yep. even Ramirez early was slumping, and there were reasons for it, and some of it was luck-related. They might have been hitting the ball right at people, but the results weren't there. There are those times where I, we probably just we ask too much about it or fans make a little bit too much of it. If the guys that are the, the people that you're counting on, and let, let's single Edwin Encarnacion out right now because he's going through something similar to what he went through last year. If he continues to not hit and not perform like he's capable of doing, or if his style of offense has changed because he's growing older and his eye is not as sharp as it once was, um, and he's got to kind of sell out a little bit more to, to maintain the power so he's not going to get on base via the walk as much, he's not going to be as patient, all those things could be true. But if he doesn't get to the level that they need his production to be at, it's going to be really t- difficult to right. overcome that no matter who you're putting in the one, two, three, four spot and beyond. Especially when you don't like have another prototypical cleanup hitter just laying around. Right. Uh, right. If your best players don't play like your best... It's the same thing for every team. If right. Giancarlo Stanton and, you know, and, and, and Judge and, and Didi Gregorius, if those guys don't perform like they're capable of, guess what? The Yankee lineup is going to slump. Same thing for Mookie Betts and you know, just go through every lineup you can do that. Yeah, I think the, the bottom line is you want your best hitters getting the most at bats. That really is should be the priority. Uh, so That's the first three spots. I mean, Lindor could hit in any one of those three top three spots. He loves leading off. He's enjoyed it. So okay, you run with him there. Um, and then you start to kind of work from there with the lineup balance. you got a lot of lefty hitters. That's the other thing that played into this Kipnis decision was, alright, if I take him out, yeah, who do I put in that two spot, and how's it going to affect the lineup balance? Yeah, I think that's something Francona really uh, was sort of weighing as well as he came to this decision. So, um, no, but you're right. I, I think that sort of plays into the, the long nature of a baseball season. This is every day. We're here every day. We're trying to think of things to talk about every day. Yeah, sure. We're, we walk into that manager's room every day, and there are days where we look and go, what do you got? What do you got? Because some there's not really much. It was a night game, and we have a noon game the next day. What else is there to ask? What has changed in the no. last eight hours? Yeah, so, hey, whoa, you did this with the lineup. Let's talk about that. Um, I think... It's the thing that's most visible every day. It's hanging on the wall. It's it's everyone needs to set their fantasy lineup so they want to see what it is right away. So it lends itself to us overanalyzing uh, some of these things. I mean, it's fun. It's fun yeah, from that for standpoint sure. to just fantasy stack it however you want. I think you touched on the most important thing. And that's how do you maximize your best players getting the most plate appearances. Right. right now, Jason Kipnis is nowhere close to one of your best hitters. So him occupying that spot in the lineup, that's not warranted. You can't justify it. Michael Brantley is right now one of your better hitters, along with Lindor and Ramirez. And I know a lot of people would say, well, find a way to put those two back to back. And I understand that when you got a lot of left-handed hitters. Mm-hmm. I also understand where Tito's coming from, that he wants to find some balance there. And putting two switch hitters back to back, while Brantley doesn't suffer from from that left-on-left disease that other guys can. Right. Uh, it's also, I think, beneficial to find a way to split those up so you don't feel like you have four or five left-handers in a row and that some team is going to get into their bullpen and then just left-hander you to death. Yeah, I agree. I don't have, I don't have, I think, I don't have much more on that. I, I think we've covered it. Uh, Brantley, like you said, he's not, a, he's not really a drastic splits guy. 
I think moving him to to the second spot was the way to go, and uh, I was kind of happy to go in there. And you know, we we have our routine of walking in and taking a photo of the lineup and and posting it on Twitter for everyone to to react. And it was nice. It was nice to kind of see the change today and go, all right, we're Something at we're at that point in the season. Uh, we're going to start seeing maybe some adjustments to what's taken place over the first six weeks. Um, and so that's where this segment of the season kind of gets a little. Fun. New stuff is fun too because April April is pretty brutal because everything is it's early. All of the sample size are way too small. Even if you're looking at things that stabilize early, like you know how hard a guy's hitting right. the ball, that's still you still need like four, five, six, seven games. Like so, you go through these weak stretches where you're trying to figure out what to talk about. If you keep the same topics, you're beating them to death. Um, and this goes into the nature of you know how this how things have changed in the social media age, mm-hmm. um, where you know you. You, you feel like you need some sort of new angle, some sort of, of, of something brand new every every six, seven hours. That You have to have something new, some sort of new angle on something that you're covering or else you feel like you're just wasting away and nothing's changing. Right. I thought Jose Ramirez was a great example in April. I think it was like eight or nine games in. Everyone was saying, what's wrong with him? <laughs> Uh, last year was a fluke, and now he's like are back on pace to forty doubles and forty homers or something. Uh, or even a guy like you know Josh Tomlin's a hot topic. There was that point where you were like, well, you can't really jump ship on this guy yet. It's still that early, but as I've noted a few, t- we're getting to that point of the season, yeah. and this next start will be important. They've already taken a look at uh, a guy like Adam Plutko came he up here well again in his next AAA start. You know, Shane Bieber has been you know pitching great coming up through the minors and. You might be reaching that decision point uh, with Josh Tomlin coming up here soon. So this is an important part of the season heading into the All-Star break for a lot of reasons to evaluate internally what they have and then post-All-Star break to to start looking at what do they need to go get. The other thing that, that's tough, though, is the, I mean, I get it from a fan standpoint. It's easy to freak out about everything. And the, the one thing, I've said this a few times, I've said it once on this podcast, the thing I'm trying to remind myself, and I have to constantly do it because I still fall into this trap, I'm trying not to tell people how to feel about stuff. Right. I'm, I'm going to tell you my opinion based on you know my beliefs and why I feel a certain way. I'll back it up with data as much as I can, and I'll give you the my opinion on it. But then from there, you got to draw your own conclusions. I'm not going to tell you, hey, don't panic. If you want to panic, panic. If that's what makes you feel better as a fan, do that. Um, but it gets tough from our position because I, you know when the bullpen's getting rocked for a, a week and a half to two weeks. <laughs> I, I don't want to be the guy that's out there saying, "Whoa, hey, down, slow down, man." Andrew Miller's not out yeah. there. Well, that—that's that, not that—that that, that feels like it's doing a disservice just as much as it would be to go out there and ah, everybody freak out. So it's finding that middle middle ground, especially early. I think is really difficult. Yeah, I try to be Mr. Pragmatic. I try to just say like, <laughs> here might be a few things you didn't consider, and then if you still want to be mad after I've given you those things, you know that's fine. It takes a lot for me to get mad. Uh, you know, I'm pretty even keel. Uh, but like, for really, Mister, it's fine for me. It's fine for me. Uh, yeah, they give me a hard time because everything's fine for me when everyone else is complaining. But it'll be four, five, six guys all will claim something is bad, and Jordan will be sitting there. Ah, I, mean, I think it's fine. I it's think fine. everything is great. Everything's great. So, like for instance, with the bullpen, you know, I wrote that thing recently, break, breaking down the consecutive days, the extra inning games, the doubleheader. But I made sure to write in there like, this is not an excuse. Like they still didn't execute. They went out yeah. on the mound. They didn't make the pitches. That's the bottom line. 
but there were a lot of these little tiny factors and it's like so sometimes when things are are not going the way it's going the way you want it to go it's really easy to 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 get really reactionary Mm -hmm. Um, sometimes you need to kind of take that step back and say what are the things surrounding this thing that's causing this thing? I, that's what I, I hate where, and maybe it's the the hot take sports talk kind of deal where if you give a reason why something is happening, that it's an excuse for it. it. It might not be an excuse, but I think it's important to note all the different factors right. on how or why you, you arrive at a certain thing. It helps you understand what's happening and if or not it's going to get better. And there are times where you can't find a reason. And I think when, because we're both very analytically minded, when we can't find a reason, that's where you get a little more concerned. Like with Edwin, you know, everyone says, ah, he went through this last year. He went through this last year. Well, if you kind of pour into the numbers, right. no, this is much different than yeah. last year. Last it year, kinda, It kind of feels like, you know, what I'm talking about with a guy that's just selling out a little bit more, right. not being as patient at the plate. It's a different type of slump. Exactly. So I think there are times where, you know, you can hunt for a reason and you might find something that goes, all right, I can't really explain this one. This one is totally different, and uh, there's not really a reason for it other than maybe, like you said, he's getting older or things like that. So there are re- there are things and times to get really to get concerned, but I think it's important to kind of keep that big picture in mind and other factors in mind. Well, with that, Jordan Bashan has confirmed that this team is in trouble and uh, the division is in question. So thank you for. <laughs> joining this podcast man you know i appreciate it no problem i'm happy i was able to to fill in for zach i'm sorry i wasn't able to give any uh awesome metaphors like he did with his dog linus who i met and uh almost killed me i i met him and it was like oh my god there's another human <laughs> and i almost died it was very frightening it's something about lovely dog it's something about it's a it's a lab right yeah there's something about that breed that they do not realize how large they are. No, they're, they are forever locked in I'm a puppy mode. Yeah, and when he stood on his hind legs and was basically <laughs> as tall as me, and we wound up dancing for a minute when he wasn't slugging paws into my ribs. Um, it, it, yeah, no, it was great. It was, uh, I, 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 I said, you know, when I posted a photo of him, I said, I don't get starstruck often, but meeting Linus, that was a big day. All right, so who has the bigger bruise on their chest, you or Bradley Zimmerman, <laughs> after running almost headfirst into the wall? Yeah, well, yeah, it's... God, that that crash into that wall was was pretty bad. It's not. I was actually surprised they didn't put him on the DL just, just for rest, but they've kind of... I'm surprised they didn't need to go out and fix that wall. I mean, that dude is built like a brick <laughs> wall monster. Yeah, he almost ended up in Monument Park when that happened. It, it, it's sort of reminiscent, um, and this is painful for Tribe fans, but when uh, Judge robbed that home run, he robbed Lindor in Game 3. Yeah. They would have given the Indians the lead in the uh, ALDS. In case you don't remember. Yeah. What many people forget is that he, like, broke part of the wall <laughs> as he was going over there to catch it. And, and, like, between innings, they had to run over there and repair the wall because Judge went over there and jumped and landed on the wall and it just <laughs> broke in half. So that goes to show you, you know, sometimes you have to worry about the ground of the wall as opposed to the human being. I forget I forget which player is uh, but there was a several years ago now where they did like a day after one of these they did like a athletic tape cut out <laughs> of his body on the wall. 
Oh, who was that? God, that was hilarious. I don't remember who it was, but I thought that was and that the, was pretty. The funny. thing that I remember is that there were like three, four people offended. So you know, <laughs> it just goes to show you that uh, you will find some way to offend somebody with something that you do, and it's inevitable. You can subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Pocket Cast. There's like five billion different ways. If you search the Selby is Godcast, you can find it. Be sure to subscribe. Of course, it's free to subscribe over on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review. It helps out the podcast a lot to help us climb the rankings and you know keep other crappier podcasts like MLB.com down the oh, rankings. Jay, hey. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you were supposed to be gone when I said that. Uh, but we do appreciate all of you that subscribe and uh, leave us a note and tell us what you enjoy and don't like about the podcast. And there are a million on either side of the fence, you know, to back up the millions upon millions of listeners that we have. At this point in the podcast, I always ask, if, I always ask Zach if he has any parting words. So do you have anything to, to leave our listeners with as we head into the weekend here? Something to for them to chew on, to really think about, really have them questioning what it means to live? Go check out Mike Clevenger's Twitter feed about the different dimensions and how many Earths there are. That one... Yeah, well, did you vote in that poll? Uh, I, you know, I, I think I, I didn't vote. It just, it locked me up, and I spent a lot of time contemplating life that night as I, as I read that thread. And then uh, he got fined for his shoes. Or <laughs> got, he, oh, hold on, he got uh, an, a note that you better stop that. You better Scolded. stop writing on your shoes. Okay, so let's answer the question: One Earth, Two Earth, or Infinity Earth? I don't know, man. What do you think? Oh, I went infinity. You went infinity? Infinity. Infinity? And beyond. I don't know. I don't have the answer. It's a lot of different dimensions out there. I think there's a different dimension for every decision that you make. How many? One decision, new dimension. So there's a dimension where you came up to this point, and you decided that you weren't going to do the podcast, and then everything else that happened is a result of that dimension. So Gordon Sebastian might be a real person. (laughs) He might be, and I hope he spends like your HBD version of yourself. (laughs) Thanks for listening, everybody. We're out of here. See ya.